Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message from our guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, good morning. The applause is for Jesus. Amen. The applause is always for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Say this with me. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Amen. And not true. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. This book is truth. God's word is truth. I know we live in an America today that doesn't much believe in absolute truth anymore, but this missionary still believes in absolute truth. Thank God for absolute truth of the word of God. Amen. Well, you can be seated. It's an honor and a delight and a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you this week. I thoroughly enjoyed being with the men uh, Thursday and Friday and Saturday and uh, I told him my only regret was that we didn't, couldn't work in a couple more sessions there. I, I just I enjoy ministering to them and loving them and blessing them and, and just sharing things. And uh, this is my 50th year in ministry. I started when I was 18. I'm 68 now and started in 1968. This is 2018, so that's 50 years. And, uh, and started in the jungles of Panama with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes and uh, we lived wildcat style, no catch, no eat. If I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I shot a parrot, we ate parrot. And one day all I could find was two woodpeckers. So I, ate, I, ate, I ate two woodpeckers. And, um, but uh, that was a long time ago, and we've been all over the world, and God's just done some wonderful, marvelous, tremendous things. We've seen God raise the dead numbers of times and, of course, cast out devils. And you know the church, I told them, me and the church is the only entity on the planet that can cast out a devil. Amen. I mean, I'm pro-military. I was in the military. I'm a veteran. I, I'm pro-police. I'm, I'm, I'm pro all that stuff. Uh, but the, 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 the military can't cast out a devil. The police can't cast out a devil. Terrorism is a spirit, is a demon, is a devil from hell. And the church is the only entity on the planet that can deal with that and handle that and control that. Uh, you know, tag your it. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us that, that uh, we are they. We are they, we, we, we now, we are they upon whom the end of the age has come. God's expecting us to get it done. If we don't do it, it won't get done. And I want to say happy grandparents day. You know, I remember when, when my, my first wife, Jackie, when we, when we had our very first grandbaby and uh, Renee and I now have 15 between us, I have eight and she has seven and, and, uh, but I remember the first one. We always remember the first one, right? And uh, I, I remember this old gentleman in an elevator riding down the hospital elevator uh, looked at my wife, Jackie, and, and, and she's just beaming. And she said, we just had our first grandbaby. And he smiled and he said, you know, grandbabies are God's gift to you for not killing your own kids. <laughs> I think maybe he knew something. So he had, he had something going there. But uh, praise the Lord. It was just a delight to be with the men, and I'm looking forward to today. And I know we're on the clock, and I'm going to be through at about 11.20. So uh, uh, that in itself will be a miracle because the longest service I've ever done in one session is 10 and a half hours. So uh, when Pastor told me to be through at 11.20, I thought, well, that's not 10 and a half hours, but we'll give it a shot here. We'll we'll see what we can cram in. And I believe the days. I told the men this, and and I'm counting on you men to do this. I, I believe the day's coming. I really do. I believe the day's coming when the church, the sheep, the people will come to the pastor, not the other way around, not the pastor come to the people, but the people come to the pastor and say, Pastor, we need more church. Because what we're doing now isn't working. 
what we're doing now isn't working. You remember America back when we had church? You remember America back when we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and then we had revival meetings that lasted a week or two weeks or three weeks or 10 weeks. I remember one lasted 26 weeks at our church. You know, we went to church every night, including Saturday. We didn't take Saturday off. And, uh, you know, I slept on a pallet under a pew, uh, you know, and uh, I, I used to say I was raised in a Pentecostal church under a Pentecostal pew on a Pentecostal pallet while Pentecostal ladies danced on my Pentecostal fingers. If I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't get them out of the way... And, and you try to tell somebody that today, and they say, but our kids go to school. So did we. So did we. I got up every morning and went to school after those midnight sessions, you know. And, but they say, they say oh, but we have jobs. So did, so did we. We, we, we. we had jobs. But we, we gave God honor. You remember, when, you remember when there's no such thing as a Little League game on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night? Nothing Boy Scout, nothing Girl Scout on Sunday. Dear God in heaven, no. That's because we honor God and go to church. Remember when you go to a movie on a Saturday night and they'd put a big thing on the screen and say, go to the church of your choice tomorrow morning. You know, we believed in church. We believed in God. We believed in the Bible. We believed in the principles of God. And uh, I know we're living in a day today that that's just not so anymore. But you know who can change that? The church. The church. You know, God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to Christians. Now, Jesus never died for a Christian. He died for sinners. But God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to Christians. And so when you pray, you know the name of Jesus on your lips can raise the dead? Slap you. Well, don't slap them. But just the name of Jesus on your lips can raise the dead. I know because the name of Jesus on my lips done it a number of times. The name of Jesus on your lips can open blind eyes, can unstop deaf ears. The name of Jesus on your lips can cast out devils. But it's going to take a relationship with God, and it's going to take a little more time in church. And I believe the day's coming when you're going to come to the pastor and say, Pastor, we need church and church and more church, and we need pastors that are more afraid of God than they are the congregation. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> we just got back from... This church supports us in missions, and you send us money every month, and I've taken your love and your prayers and your money literally around the world. I hope I've taken your love and your prayers. I know I've taken your money. I see the checks come in. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm an investment broker. I've always said I'm just an investment broker. My job is to take your money, take it around the world, and invest it where it'll bring the best return for you. Amen. And so uh, we just came back from Lima, Peru, and Arequipa, Peru. And uh, we were home uh, two days from that and turned around went and slept two nights in our own bed and went to Mexico. And we just got home from Mexico and slept two nights in our own bed and came here. So uh, we're, we're, we're on the move. Our next foreign trip is going to be uh, over November and the Thanksgiving holidays into December. We'll be in the nation of Malta, where what the Bible calls the Isle of Melita, where Paul was shipwrecked and where he was gathering up sticks, you'll remember, and a snake bit him. And he has walked over the fire and shook it off in the fire. And Malta is an interesting place. It sits out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And so I go there and have pastor's conferences, tremendous pastor's conferences, and train these pastors in the word of faith, in the word of God, how to live on planet Earth, how to win, how to be conquerors more than. And uh, let's see, there's grandparents here today, right? So you'd know what a Yellow Pages is. Um, so, uh, so, so I teach them how they, they have to look us up in the Yellow Pages under conquerors more than. Now, I know that goes over the rest of your head, but the, the grandparents here will get that. In fact, I'm real glad it's Grandparents Day because the message I have today is not a sermon but a lifestyle, the thing God wants me to share. And, and I was kind of concerned about it because a lot of the references I'm going to make in this uh, lifestyle message this morning uh, is going to just go right over the millennials' heads. Uh, and so when they said it's Grandparents Day, I said, oh, thank God they'll understand. <laughs> <clears throat> 
You know, the Bible, the, the church has always had a generation gap, always. Uh, just like life has a generation gap. And uh, kids think parents are stupid. And, and then they get about 30, 40 years old and they say, man, mom and dad weren't so dumb after all. Then they get about 50 years old and they say, man, my, my parents are the wisest people I ever knew. But uh, so, you know, everybody grows up. But uh, in the church, we've never had that great generation gap until now. Because uh, over the years throughout history, when the father's in the faith, uh, the fathers and mothers, when they died off, the church just looked to the next generation of fathers and mothers. And so the church has kept perpetually strong uh, until numbers of years ago, and now that's why the church isn't strong anymore, uh, because all of a sudden the church has stopped looking to the fathers, the next generation of fathers, as the old fathers died off and the old mothers died off. Instead of the church looking to the new generation uh, of fathers and mothers, they've gone, instead of up, they've gone to the young lions. And thank God for young lions. You know, the young lions are the guys that are on television, and, and they look sharp, and they dress sharp, and their hair's funky, and their holes in their britches, and, uh, and they, they're all rich, and they're all on TV, and they all got jets, and, and, and a lot of them are my young lions. I've trained them and taught them over the years. I love them. I'm for them. They're just not fathers yet. They will be one day, hopefully. Not necessarily. Age doesn't necessarily mean you can get smarter, but, uh, but hopefully they'll be fathers one day. That's why whenever these newscasters get them on television these days, get them on an interview, you know, they just mess up horribly because the uh, newscaster asks them a father question and they don't have a father answer because they're not fathers. They're young lions. They'll get there, but they just open their mouth and insert their foot and say, just say the dumbest things, you know, and I remember Barbara Walters had one young lion on that I've known since he's in diapers. And he's very famous now and, and got a humongous church, and you'd all know who it is. Uh, but uh, I remember she, uh, Barbara Walters had him on the couch with her, and uh, his daddy was a, was a well-known preacher as well and a very dear friend of mine. And uh, she, asked, uh, she asked him a question, a father question, uh, about people going to heaven, and he just looked at her and didn't have a clue. And he said, well, that's, that's, that's above my pay grade. He said, who, who am I to say? Barbara Walters slapped him with the back of her hand. She slapped him, and she said, your daddy wouldn't have said that. She turned her back on him, didn't talk to him the rest of the interview. Talked to somebody else. But see, we, we need to go back and look to the fathers. Amen? See, there's this erroneous idea in the, in the world today that your grandkids are smarter than you because they can work a cell phone. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've got news for you. So can a monkey. We have, we have a one-year-old granddaughter, and, 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 you know, every time we FaceTime her mama, she reaches out and hits the red button. Cuts us off, you know. Any monkey will hit the red button. Are you here? That doesn't mean they're smarter than you. It just means they're, you know, they don't think about stuff like you do. They're not thinking about paying the rent tomorrow. They're not thinking about who's going to be president. They're not thinking about how much gas costs. They're not thinking about uh, having to catch an, make an appointment this afternoon. All they think about is the red button. And so you think, oh, they're so smart. No, they're not. <laughs> they're great. They're wonderful. They're sweet. But, you know, hitting the red button is not smart. And then I keep telling her mama, you see, you're really dumb when you let her do that. When you, when you laugh and smile and say, oh, honey, don't do that. That's, that's kind of dumb because she's going to do it again. You kind of have to tell her, No. Remember, no. no. <laughs> Renee, come on up here and greet the people. Say something to the people. You want this mic right here? Yeah. Well, help yourself. Uh, Proverbs says, in the multitude of words, transgression is not lacking. <laughs> so I will be brief. And uh, just say again how much we love 
the work of God. And uh, having done this all our lives, the, the reverence that we have for uh, the pastors, those Amen. that stick by the stuff so faithfully year Amen. after year. I know my husband and I, uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, fought through those years to impart over and over to the lives of people in South Texas. And I just honor you today for being here and being a part of what God is doing in the whole earth. I hope Terry talks about the church worldwide, but um, I, I just salute him always. He and my first husband were best friends, and um, one was an apostle and one a pastor, and I always thought that was a super combination, <laughs> you know, because it was perspective. It was such a, a broad perspective of what God is doing in the earth. Hallelujah. Sometimes it just wells up in me to where I lose my breath about how much God loves us, and yet he requires obedience. Amen? I just wanted to say about grandparents, but I learned this quote from Terry, and he said, uh, it's an old Jewish proverb that says, um, if you don't have an old man, buy one. <laughs> Isn't that good? It's good. Isn't that good? I, I, I had not. Of course, not I wasn't heard. one when I started saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, you know, I, I just am so grateful my grandchildren have a, an old man, you know, and have, and have uh, Terry and I are, are willing and able to give. We're alive and well, you know, like they said in the day when they crossed over Jordan. They said, we are alive and well as at this day. We made it through. And God's going to use us, and it's going to take everybody in these last days, no matter how old you are, to bring in the great harvest that God has for the yeah. kingdom of God. So turn to your neighbor and say, you know, I'm kind of I'm up in years here. I'm growing. I'm learning. And uh, I'm available for help. <laughs> you know, I, I can help you. Amen. God bless you, and I believe you're going to get something really special today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My wife Jackie and, and, and myself and her husband Dean and, and her were best friends for 40 years. And Dean was my hunting buddy and fishing buddy and, and uh, we went on vacations together, went on ministry trips together and, and raised our kids together and all our kids were best friends and were in each other's weddings and what have you and so on and so forth. So uh, uh, Dean just passed away and went to heaven six years ago and, and uh, Jackie just the very next year she passed away and went to heaven. And there wasn't anything wrong with her. She just went to sleep one night and didn't and woke up in heaven. And, uh, and so, you know, they left us lemons, so we just got married and made lemonade. And so uh, we've uh, <clears throat> been best friends for all the... I, I, rec I recommend you marry someone you've known for 40 years. And that way there's, that way there's no surprises. So, uh, <clears throat> so we've... Uh, tomorrow will be our fourth anniversary, and we've, we've just been running around the world at, the, at record speed. And uh, excited about what God's doing. I would say this though: every Wednesday, uh, we uh, we do a podcast and uh, and uh, just uh, terrymize.com. And, uh, and and the thing I think it's so cool about that, Mike, is is that it's free for nothing. And every now and then I'll tell Renee, I said, I remember when you and Dean were struggling trying to make the word of faith work back in the, back in the 60s and 70s, saying, dear God, does this really work? Is this, you know, we're believing God for toothpicks here. You know, does this work? 
And uh, Jackie and I were doing the same thing, struggling trying to make this thing work and getting to whatever meeting you could possibly go to. And, and once we'd finally get to, a, say, a Brother Hagen meeting or a Brother Osteen meeting or a, a Brother Copeland meeting or something, you know, then we'd go back to the tapes and books back there in the Ted tapes. And, and, and we'd just drool, just salivate over all that stuff. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't take that stuff home with us. You know, now you can just go terrymiles.com and it's free for nothing. Right. And you can turn us on and turn us off and say, preach and shut up and preach and shut up. <laughs> <clears throat> and just get marvelous word that'll work for you. And we just have a ball doing it. And, and, and we have professional equipment in our office, you know, with the headphones and the big microphones and all the keyboard sound boards and all that. But we're gone so much. A lot of times we just have to do it on the road. Uh, just did one in Lima at Machu Picchu. You know, and then uh, just did one uh, on the way home the other day and in an airport somewhere. Just do it, you know, on, on the phone. And uh, the equipment's so good you can do that nowadays. But, uh, but those are just, just terrymiles.com. You can get the word. And there's over 100 of them archived. And there's a new fresh one every, every Wednesday that you can just absolutely feast and feed on word that's active working for you from an active right now doing it missionary, not, not did it and retired and quit. But people tried to get me to, you know, they, tried, they gave me a party for my 50th uh, year in ministry a couple months ago. And, uh, and, and everybody acted like it was a big deal and a milestone. And I said, well, I, I guess I would have thought it was a milestone if I was going to quit, but I'm not quitting and uh, don't have any quit in me. And so uh, it just another year to me, I didn't think 50 was a big deal. But uh, anyway, we're excited about what God's doing, and, and t- tune in with us anytime. We just grab a Bible and a cup of coffee and, and just talk about the Word of God and the things of God and t- talk about miracles and, and how you can make it work for you. So just, just terrymiles.com, you can do that, and it'll, it'll bless you. Let's look here at the Word a little bit. I, I, this isn't really a sermon. It's a lifestyle I've lived for a long, long time. Sometimes somebody will say something to you, and it's just worth a million dollars or two, three, or two, three, four, or five million. And uh, John Osteen, that's Joel's daddy, Joel Osteen, pastor of Lakewood Church, biggest church in America. His daddy, John, was a really good friend of mine and a really good friend of Renee and, and her husband, Dean. And, uh, and one day, as a, I was a teenager, and he came to my town to preach. And somehow in the world, I don't know how God favored me with this, but somehow I got to drive him around. I was just a teenager, and I got to drive him around wherever he wanted to go. And so I, I was 15 years old the first time I met him. And so... Uh, uh, I was driving him one day just as a teenager out in West Texas where I was raised. And, and uh, I'm, I'm driving. He's sitting there. And all of a sudden, he said this to me. He said, Terry? I said, yes, sir. He said, God is a good checker player. He didn't say anything else. And I said, yes, sir. And I'm just driving. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what that meant. Didn't have a clue what was on his mind. I just kept driving. And finally, after two or three minutes and he hadn't said anything, I said, sir, and he said, he said, yes. And I said, may I ask you what that means? And he said, well, sure. He said, you know, if you're praying about something, fasting about something, uh, believing God for something, uh, believing God for something to happen, you've got a situation you're really dealing with and you're, you're waiting on God and waiting on God and nothing's happening, nothing's happening. He said, uh, you need to always remember God's a good checker player and he never moves out of turn. And he said, so if you're praying and fasting and believing and nothing's happening, he said, you might ought to stop and see whose turn it is. Pastor, that's saved my life over 50 years. That's made me money over 50 years. It saved me money over 50 years. I mean, what could that possibly be worth? That, that phrase that he gave me that I've now lived by uh, for, those, for, for, for 50 years. God's a good checker player. 
People have asked me for decades, they say, Brother Terry, what, I don't know what to do. I can't hear from God. How do I hear from God? I don't know what to do next. And I always tell them, well, go back to the last thing you know for a fact God told you to do and make sure you did that. Because if you didn't do that, he's not going to tell you something else. He's just going to tell you the same old thing until you do it. You know, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and got up to the promised land. There's the Jordan River. And God said, okay, Moses, now go over the Jordan. Cross over this Jordan. And Moses didn't do it. So they had to go walk in the desert for 40 years because they were in disobedience. So they had to walk in the desert for 40 years. And then Moses died off. In fact, God personally killed him. <laughs> Can you imagine what a, what a blessing that is, Mike? <laughs> Can you imagine after 40 years of walking around in, in the desert because you disobeyed, now he comes to you and says, hey, buddy. God says, hey, buddy, come with me. Come on, Moses, come with me. I'm taking you up here on the hill. Gets him up on the hill and he says, you see over there across the river? Yes, sir. That's what you could have had. That's what you should have had. That's what I gave you. That's what I told you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years was yours. All those 430 years you spent in slavery in Egypt, you knew that land belonged to you and then I was giving it to you. But you messed up and you didn't get it. So now I'm going to personally kill you. Isn't that a nice thing for God to tell you? I'm going to personally kill you. And I'm going to personally bury you. And nobody's ever going to find your grave. And he did. And then he got Joshua and said, okay, Joshua, get the people and get over there. And they got right up to the same spot as that 40 years ago. And God said, hey, I got an idea. Arise and cross over this Jordan. Same thing he told them 40 years ago. And he's not ever going to tell them anything else until they do it. Isn't that right? And they did it, and God blessed it, and they got the promised land and could have had it 40 years earlier. So, so God's a good checker player, and he doesn't move out of turn. And so if nothing's happening in your life that you're praying about, stop and go back, as I've had to do many times over the years. Say, wait, maybe it's my turn. Do I need to be doing something? What, what, what should I be doing here to loose God to do what he's going to do? James told us three times that faith... Now, we love faith. We're called, you know, we, we say, hey, Michael, you're a faith guy. I'm a faith guy. Hey, we're, we're word people. We're a word family. We go to word church. We sing word songs. Our dog's a word dog. Our, our bird's a word bird. We're just, we're just, we're word people. Amen. We're word people. Faith people. Word of faith people. And uh, we like faith. We talk about faith. We preach faith. But you know what? Faith is just a noun and nouns are dead. Cemeteries a noun, tombstones a noun, grave, graveyards a noun, caskets a noun. And, and that's what James said. He said, faith without works, faith without corresponding action is absolutely dead, is worthless, is no good. I've said for many, many years, if you have a faith that costs nothing, does nothing, demands nothing, risks nothing, then it's absolutely worth nothing. Amen. God's not going to move if your faith isn't doing anything, if it's not moving. And so James said in, in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Of course not. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you don't give him anything to eat and those things needful for the body, what does it profit? It's no good. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. 
Uh, James is pretty powerful here, and he says, hey, buddy, I'll show you my faith by my works. You want to see faith? Come watch me. I'll show you my faith. I'll demonstrate my faith by what I do, how I act, how I talk, how I, how I live. I'll show you and demonstrate to you my faith. So I'll, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe that and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith, second time, without works is dead. Was not Abraham uh, wrought with his works and by works faith made perfect? Oh, excuse me, it was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac on his son on the altar? Seest thou how faith uh, wrought with his works and works was, with, was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Ye see also then by works a man is justified and not by faith only." Likewise was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, third time, so faith without works is dead also. So we're faith people, but we need to understand something by faith is it just doesn't work when it's alone. It's dead uh, when it's not uh, uh, hooked up with corresponding actions or with works. Amen? Amen, Brother Terry. That's a good word. Just keep on preaching. Well, thank you. I believe I will. <laughs> you know, when I got, when, uh, I told the men the other day that, that Jackie and I got married uh, uh, <clears throat> in, in, in May the 10th of 1969. And on our wedding day, I also got this letter from President Nixon that said, congratulations. Your friends and neighbors have nominated you for little thing we got going on in Southeast Asia, and so you're drafted. And so on my wedding day, I got my draft notice. Being the wise man that I was, I put it back in the mailbox and didn't tell my brand new bride that I was drafted. I just left it alone. We went on our honeymoon. We came back. I opened the post. I was like, I'm drafted. Look at here. I'm in the army. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we, uh, we did two years in the army, in the military. And when we came back from that, then we were headed to Mexico. God had spoken to me when I was 13 years old and said, you're a missionary. And so I had planned from the time I was 13 years old that the instant I could, I would go uh, be a missionary. Yet my parents wouldn't let me go at 13, 14, 15, 16, or 17. But man, the day I turned 18, I took off and lived in the jungles of Panama with an Indian tribe and then came back. And, and uh, we got married and got drafted and went to the Army, had a baby in the Army. And as soon as we got out of the Army, then we were planning to head into Mexico. But, but uh, we weren't sure when we, exactly the day, exact date we were going and didn't know even where we were going because Mexico is a big place. And we knew one person, one missionary. And the missionary said, uh, hey, when you get out of the Army, you can come uh, live with me and, and work with me and, and just go right into you know, being a missionary. And I said, great, that's wonderful. And then she died while I was in the Army. So we knew nobody. And, uh, and so uh, I had a pastor friend who lived about 40 miles away there in West Texas. I was raised in Midland. He lived in Big Spring. And uh, so I, I told my wife, I said, let's go over there to Big Spring, get us an apartment, and I'll just kind of follow the pastor around uh, for, for however many weeks we're going to be before God lets us go to Mexico, gives, gives us direction to go to Mexico. And, uh, and, and I said, if nothing else, we'll just start walking south because you got to do something. You know, God's a good checker player. And, uh, and so we'll just start walking south if nothing else happens. But let's go over there, and I'll just be his shadow and see how he deals with things, not just in the pulpit, but at home when the, when the bills are due and the wife's crying and the kids are crying and, you know, the dog's crying and there's no food, there's no, you know, we'll just see how to operate 
uh, in faith, not just in the pulpit, but in the real world. So we went over there and and rented this little old ramshackle house. It was terrible. I never lived in a house as bad before or since. And um, and the uh, the wind would blow in West Texas, and it would blow under that little old house, and then blow up through the living room floor, through the cracks in the in the floor. And so they had on the floor. This is why I'm glad there's gray-headed grandparents here today, because you'll know what this is. The kids won't know what this is. But on the floor they had they had linoleum. <laughs> Remember linoleum. And, uh, and so when the wind would just blow through there, linoleum is just a plastic rug, okay? And, and, and it, it'd blow that, that, that linoleum would become a flying carpet. And it just, and so, so I tacked it down on all four corners, you know? So then when the wind would blow, it'd just poof up in big balloon, you know, just, just like this. I'd go and step on it and mash it back down. And uh, one night we were sitting at the table eating, my, uh, my wife and I and the baby sitting there in the high chair, and uh, we bowed our head to pray, as I had done all my life. I got saved when I was six years old. I've prayed over my food ever since. And uh, so we bowed our head and started to say grace like I'd done 10,000 times 10,000. And I was praying, thank you, Father, for this food and whatever. And, and I just stopped right in the middle. I just stopped and just sat there and thought, dear God. And so, and, you know, Jackie raised her eyebrow and looked at me, and she said, uh, is there something wrong? Because I'm just sitting there. I just hadn't finished the prayer. I didn't sit there. And, and I looked up at her, and I said, you know, it just hit me. God really did supply this food. I mean, all my life I've thanked him for my food, but Mom and Dad supplied it, you know, or the grandparents supplied it. You know, then I, I went in my own business when I was a teenager, and I supplied it. And then, then Uncle Sam got me a job, and he, he paid me $128 a month and supplied some stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> and so somebody's always provided it, but God provided this. If God hadn't provided this, we wouldn't be eating. I really am thankful for this food. So I geared up and re-prayed. And so we ate, and everything's fine. And, and uh, the next day or so, I, I walked over to the refrigerator and uh, I opened the refrigerator. Back in those days, refrigerators weren't a very big deal. Now they're big, monstrous, you know, uh, several doors and uh, computers and give you ice and water and whatever else and probably give you a tetanus shot. I don't know, but they'll, they'll, just, they'll do all kinds of stuff. Back then, they were just little, little refrigerators. In fact, we referred to them as a what? An icebox, you know. And so I, I walked over to the refrigerator and opened it up, little thing about yay tall, and I opened it up, and there wasn't hardly anything in there at all. I mean, just it was empty. And, and so I looked up into the, and I know you, I know y'all don't know what this is, except the, I'm glad the grandparents are here. We, we had back then a little freezing unit or a freezing compartment. Remember those? You know, and they were about this big, you know, like that. Now you have a whole side of your refrigerator that's, a, that's the freezer or a whole drawer that's the freezer. Then we just had this little thingamajig we called a freezing compartment. And, and it had a plastic door on the front and you opened it up. And, and they were magical, they were magical things because they grew their own ice. Only the ice was poison. You couldn't eat it. You couldn't put it in your tea. Okay? And, and I know y'all, you younger people don't know what, anything about this, but thank God again, grandparents are here. So, so what you had to do in those days is, uh, and, and in, back in those days, you had little things called, again, I'm just dating myself and I realize that, but you had ice trays. Little metal things, you know, and then later they made them out of plastic that you had little cubes, cubicles, and you'd pour water in them and then put them back in the freezing unit, and then it would freeze, and you'd, get, you'd break those things open, and, and, and you'd get ice cubes. And I know, I know y'all don't get that, but, but uh, uh, what you had to do uh, is, is if you didn't defrost 
this freezing unit, then that ice would grow and grow on all four sides, and it'd just grow together to one big huge chunk of ice, so you had to keep that thing cleaned out. We called it defrosting. I'm so glad you grandparents are here. <laughs> and we had to defrost. And, and the way you defrost it is you took a, I know you don't know what this is either, but we took an ice pick. <laughs> I'm really dating myself, aren't I? And, and you, and, and, or you, a knife. Let's, I'll just say a knife for the rest of y'all. And, and you just, you'd chip out this, this ice. You'd chip it out. And I mean, you sit there and chop that whole thing and get all that poison ice out of there. And uh, then you'd clean it all out. And then sometimes you'd even just take a big, uh, a big pot of water and put it on the stove and boil it. So you got this boiling hot water. And you'd take that pan and stick it in the freezing unit and just let that heat finish defrosting or melting that ice. And then you'd take that out and you'd get a sponge and cloth and clean all that mess out and make it all nice. And now you're ready to go again for a month or so. And so, uh, so I, I, I opened the refrigerator. There's not anything there hardly. And I reached up and opened the freezing compartment, and there's all this growing ice, and there's two ice trays, and that's it. Nothing else in there. And whenever I saw that, I just stepped back, kind of disappointed and sad, and I stepped back and I said, Lord, that's not right. That's not right. Here I am, a man of God. I'm about to go to Mexico to be a missionary. You told me to be a missionary. I'm going to, you know, I went to the Panama and as a kid and nearly died, and, and I'm willing to still do that. And, uh, and it's not right we don't have any food. That's not right. The refrigerator's empty. It's not right. The freezing compartment's empty. That, that's just not right. And I tell you, Michael, as sure as I'm standing here today, I heard John Osteen's voice in my ear. I thought he's standing right there. And I'm standing there looking at that, and I heard Brother John say, Terry, God's a good checker player, and he won't move if it's your turn. And I whirled around to look, see if Brother John was standing there, and he wasn't. And so I turned around then, looked back in that unit, and I said, is that right, Lord? Could that possibly be right? Is, is it my move? Is it my move? How can I move? What, what could I possibly do to, to move to get you to move? So it's your turn. And then I just thought, well, clean this thing up. Get it, ready for, get it ready for food. Get it ready for me. So, man, I mean, I put a pot of water on the stove and got it boiling. I got the ice pick, and I'm in there just chipping away. Jackie walked in a little bit. She said, what are you doing? I didn't say I'm on a mission from God or I'm playing checkers with God or any of that. I just said, oh, I'm just defrosting the refrigerator. And she said, well, that's great. Well, thank you very much. And she went on and did whatever she was going to do. And I mean, I got that thing done. I got it pristine and, and got it totally cleaned out and wiped down inside, outside. I mean, I made it look brand new. Took those ice trays out, cleaned them all up, put new water in them, put them back in that refrigerator unit all by themselves. And, uh, and then I, I just stood back and, 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 and admired my handiwork. And I said, all right, Lord, it's your move. It's your move. And, I, and I'm telling you the truth. It wasn't two hours till there was a knock on the door. I went to the door and there's a little lady there that I had met, a Methodist lady that had come to, a, to the pastor's uh, prayer meeting a few days before. And I just met her and shook her hand, you know. And uh, she's standing there and she said, uh, uh, Brother Terry, she said, this is really weird. This never happened to me before. But she said, uh, uh, I was at the grocery store and, and, and she said, the Spirit of God spoke to me. I think it was God. I've never, never had this happen to me before. And said to buy groceries for you and, uh, you and Jackie. And she said, would you come out to the car and carry them in? I said, yes, ma'am. And I went out to the car and carried in bag after bag after bag of groceries, set them on the table, 
Called Jackie in, and we thanked her and hugged her neck and prayed over and prayed for her. And she left. Man, I started putting food away, you know, in that refrigerator. And, uh, and there were so many different kinds of steaks and roasts and chops and hamburger meat and stuff that I, I, I crammed that little old freezing unit completely full. I had to take the ice trays out and forget the ice. And, and just, just cram that thing full. And then I stepped back and looked at it. And I said to Jackie, and this was not a complaint. I was not complaining. I was just stating, a, I was giving an inventory, a fact. And I said, Jackie, can you believe this? I said, there's every kind of steak here. I mean, there's T-bone steak, there's sirloin steak. There's every kind of steak here except ribeye. Ribeye is the only thing left out. And I wasn't complaining about that. It's just a fact. It wasn't two hours till there's a knock at the door. Another little lady. And she, she had a bag in her hand, a grocery bag in her hand. And she said, Brother Terry, she said, uh, I've never had this happen to me before, but I was just at the grocery store buying groceries and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, buy ribeye steaks and bring to you and Sister Jackie. And so she, so I, 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 opened that, uh, I opened that little screen door. You grandparents know what a screen door is. I opened that little screen door and uh, she, handed me, she handed me a bag of ribeye steaks. I had to go in there and take other stuff out to put, put those in there. But I, be, I learned from that point what Brother Osteen was telling me was God is a good checker player. Now, I've got, I've got 137 other testimonies that I normally would tell you uh, in, in, along this line from, from living in Mexico and God providing apartments and how we got apartments, how we believed God, and how we paid our hotel bills when we didn't have any money and had to check out that, that we'd do something, then God would do something. We'd do something. Say, okay, God, it's your move. So I want to encourage you today to understand that, that, little, that little silly phrase that Brother Osteen said to me so many decades ago when I was just a teenager that has changed my life, that has saved my life, that has made me money, saved me money, and he just said, Terry, God's a good checker player. God's a good checker player. God's a good checker player. And I'll tell you what, he really is. So I want to encourage you in your own life. That when something's going on and you're praying, you're believing God, something needs to happen, and you're asking God to do something, yet nothing's happening. That was one of the questions that me and asked yesterday. What do you do when you pray and nothing's happening? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow because <laughs> God's a good checker player. You know, it, it, but it, it I, I, <laughs> oh, no, no, I could just tell story after story after story after story after story after story. And uh, it's, just, uh, it, it's, ju it's, just a, it's just a law of God. If I can just say it that way, it's just a law of God that, he, that faith without works is dead. I've given you scripture to back it up. And then what Brother Osteen said, God's a good checker player, just in my life for decades. Sometimes it's a mission trip. We got to have, you know, $100,000 to go to a crusade in India. And, you know, we just go ahead and start moving and acting and, you know, start starting preparing the trip. And, you know, God shows up with the money. You know, God, God doesn't always show up. Let me say it like this. God's never late, but he misses many good opportunities to be early. <laughs> but he is a good checker player. And y'all have heard me tell the story about I picked up a hitchhiker in Mexico and he pulled a gun on me and stuck it in my ribs and I'm going to kill you. You can't kill me. I'm a man of God and got authority over you in the name of Jesus. And he shot at me five times at point blank range and bullets didn't hit me. I mean, I could just tell you stories. If I could, we could be here all day just telling you dramatic, true stories of things God did supernaturally simply because that one little old phrase an old preacher said to me. So now you got another old preacher saying it to you. And I believe it'll do for you what it's done for me. Again, this isn't a sermon. It's a lifestyle I've lived all these years. 
Did everybody say God's a good checker player? Amen. And I pray you'll remember that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this word today will, will, will go deep into their heart. Go deep into their heart. Go deep into their heart. And I realize time constraints, and I understand that, and I always want to be sensitive and honor that and honor the pastor and honor the church. And, 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 but, but, Father, maybe at some point we can do a two- or three-day seminar just on faith. And just talking about the things of God and, and, and the miracles of God and how to make it work in your life. And I thank you for that, Father. Cause this word just to stir on the inside of them today. And as they go home, just let it become part of their vocabulary and their vernacular where husband will look at wife, wife will look at husband and say, you know what? God's a good checker player. Hey, we've been praying about this and it seems like not, not much is happening. Maybe let's stop and go back and see if it's our turn. Do we need to do something here? Have we done something since we prayed? If, are we waiting on God or is he waiting on us? And Father, I believe they'll move in faith, and then you'll move and do the miracle, and they'll be able to give you the glory and the honor, and you'll save their lives and save their money and save their families and just do miracles because they understand that principle that faith without works is dead. Even as much as you love us, as much as you want to do things for us, if, if it's our turn, your hands are tied and you're waiting for us to move. So Father, I thank you for people getting revelation knowledge. Even in bed at night, that all of a sudden it'll come to them. I need to move. I need to do something. Tomorrow I'm going to do whatever it is, X, Y, or Z. Whether it's defrosting the refrigerator or mopping the floor or, or mowing the grass or mowing the pastor's grass or the church's grass. There, there, there's a movement, a faith work that you're waiting for so that heaven can move on our behalf. And we thank you for it and give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty, dominion. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Stand up with me and, and, and uh, let me pray for you. Put one hand on yourself and one hand up to God. That's where your help comes from. This is how we pray when our big crusades, 100,000 people or whatever, out in the crowd with all kind of sickness and disease and God does miracles. Father, I pray for this congregation today. Father, they've come to church today. They've come to hear from you. They've come to honor you. And now, Father, they, 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 they've clapped their hands to you. They've sung songs to you. They've, they've lifted their hands to you. They've given offerings to you and tithe to you. And then they've heard the word from you. And now, Father, it's time for them to receive some things that they need. So I believe that the tangible anointing and power of the Holy Ghost of heaven, the Holy Spirit of Acts, fall on us right now. And that the destroying anointing would fall in here this morning because you said the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. So whatever, whatever yoke of bondage might be represented here today, it might be cancer, it might be AIDS, it might be an employment situation, a, a business situation, a money situation, a tax situation, maybe a, a, a marital situation, maybe something with the kids or grandkids, whatever, whatever yoke is represented in here this day, the anointing destroy it. Destroy it, destroy it. Destroy it in Jesus' name. Father, I talked to the men this week about rattlesnakes and just having a, having a visceral reaction to them and, 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 and that that's how uh, sickness and disease ought to affect us as well, that we just have a visceral reaction and hate it and despise it and curse it like Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died. We curse sickness and disease and all these things that have come against us. We curse them by Almighty God. You said the power of life and death is in the tongue. We speak death today to every yoke of bondage, to every rattlesnake, to every cancer, to every AIDS, to every disease, to every infection, to whatever it is. We curse it 
by Almighty God in the name of Jesus, and we declare life to the people of God. Life, the Zoe life of God. To live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. To be healed and made whole and well. In our marriage, in our home, in our family, in our finances, in our body, in our business, in, in, in our relationships. Life in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and honor and praise. Majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. Now let's thank him for it for just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You're the miracle worker. We would not touch your glory. We give all the glory and honor, praise, majesty, dominion to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now, some of you need to check your body and see what the Lord did. And when you find out God's healed you or helped you or touched you, you need to testify and tell somebody about it. But in the meantime, let's give, you, let's give an opportunity for those that might need salvation. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.